The date is Friday, August 12th, and you're listening to Entertain This, a thought-provoking podcast encapsulating all things entertainment. Ever since the invention of TV, there has always been situational comedies, or sitcoms. These shows delight us with a cast of relatable characters going through familiar situations in often comedic ways. But what happens when you turn that formula on its head? Well, then you have It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and our topic for today. So enjoy! Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to your favorite show on the internet, encapsulating all things entertainment. It's entertain this. Entertain this. Wah, 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 wah. Uh, nice. Yeah. We pulled it off. Take uh, as about, always. About burst the blood your... vessel trying to do that. I'm one of your enthusiastic hosts. I'm Alex. I'm Michael. And I am Pat. And they have me and back this time, so I guess I didn't mess up. You didn't mess up last time. Also, I haven't edited that episode yet, so if you had messed up, I wouldn't know yet. I'll have to figure that out later. Um, But we're back for another gripping episode of your favorite show, Encapsulating All Things Entertainment. I don't know if gripping is an okay verbiage or adjective to describe us. I've never really enjoyed the adjective gripping because it's aggressive and it's like proper use and even if you're using it improperly it's just gross yeah not a big fan i feel like there's also a little bit of like implied in like non-consent there it's like i can't Ah. (laughs) Ah. i'm like "Ah, i can't help it (laughs) Uh, it sucks everything about that sucks (laughs) it's bad um so pat it's your second week (laughs) this yes it is my second week we're having all these guest hosts on, right? We had Chloe, now we have you. Um, and what the unfortunate thing is, is that you guys joined in a year where the guest goes last. So you have to sit through two episodes of, like, the veterans on this podcast going before you get to, like, have your moment in the sun. So I apologize for that, specifically. Nah, you're good. <laughs> but, I'll just have to knock the socks off when it's my turn. That's right. But that being said, Michael, you went last week. Mm-hmm. You had a lovely episode. Uh, so I'm going to bite the bullet. Be a, I'm going to be charitable, and I'll go this week if that's okay. We'll have to clear it with the board, but yeah, it should be fine. Well, let's clear it with the board because um, the gang's going to record a podcast. Ooh. Insert always sunny in Philadelphia music here. (laughs) (laughs) Great segue. Incredible. So in all of television, we've seen many a show come and go, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You've got, you know, your Hannah Montana's, for example. You've got your friends. Friends had a pretty long run. You have your How I Met Your Mothers that end in a sort of disappointing way. Um, and one of the trends, especially in all of these that I've named, is this idea of a sitcom, right? Mm-hmm. Situational comedy. And that's kind of been troped through television since pretty much its beginning, you know? You had your Leave it to Beavers and things like that, that focus around this dichotomy of a group of individuals who are... Uh, put in these situations that are relatively close to the lives of the viewers, but are off and for that reason provide comedic uh, relief, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
It is in my personal opinion that these types of shows, though entertaining for the most part, are pretty cookie cutter. Um, pretty much they're all the same. You know, you got your love interests. You've got your will they, won't they's, which I guess is also love interests. So that's a re- repetition. <laughs> but you've got, you know, the the funny guy and the cool one, the Uncle Jesse character. And, you know, you got the uh, dramas that come along with it. And you watch these characters become a like a family. You fall in love with them and so on and so forth. And that's great. And some people love that. And it's why you see success in shows like Full House or uh, Modern Family to an extent, right? Mm-hmm. I want to talk today about a show that takes that concept and made it a parody that has, at this point, outlived most of the shows that were being parodied to begin with. Because I want to talk about, if it wasn't obvious already, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. So let's let's start off with a, just a, just just a, just a let's let's break some break some ice. Let's start with an icebreaker question. Have you guys seen Always Sunny in Philadelphia? Slash, are you familiar with it? Familiar with it, but have I watched it in great detail now? Okay. I I have. I've, I don't think I've I've sat there and watched a few episodes. Like mm-hmm. what I've seen mostly though are like the highlights. Pretty much yeah. the highlights, yeah. like the internet, like uh, the internet compilations of different things. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's incredible. Well, it's should be noted that um, they are currently on their fifteenth uh, season, beating Jeez. the record of many of the shows to which I had mentioned in the intro. Um. But I think that talking about this show in general, you'll get a pretty good grasp on what it is. But I want to talk about what makes this show really special, which is some of the stuff that happened that led it to be the icon that it is Mm. now. Right? Yeah. So I'm going to get into the history. But first, let me ask you this. If you've seen it, which you both say you have, at least in passing... What is either your favorite episode or the episode that you remember the most about? Oh, I know mine right away. Uh, mine is the one where Charlie puts on the Nightman play. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it's just the entire like the entire poor execution of the play, and everyone just the thing that I love about that one is every character has a time to shine in being so bad at what they're doing. Absolutely. And that really is like the best part about it's always sunny. Yeah. That is it is a it is an interesting dichotomy against the uh sort of things that I set up in the intro because in most sitcoms what they're trying to do is make everyone likable so that they're casting a wide net. Mm-hmm. What can we have the audience attached to and identify with, right? Yeah. Always Sunny makes you watch it because, like you're saying, they want you to not identify with any of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, 
it's always sunny can i think be like boiled down as like a summary of it can is really just it is an incredible sitcom that is the anti-sitcom absolutely yeah and we'll get kind of more into that and especially how they portray it in the show but pat do you remember the episodes that you've seen at least one of them so it's always been bits and pieces and passing. I'm, I'm going to be real honest. So Okay, I guess... so what do you remember? <laughs> when you think Always Sunny, what, what comes to mind? So Danny DeVito, definitely. Obviously. Just, mm-hmm. just off the rip. But um, more just the – I'm trying to remember what character is, but he's like the uh, – goes after all the women kind of thing and always like like he's super – Dennis. To, yeah. And there's episodes of him being in the bar and like him trying to pick up multiple women. There's like things like that. And then um, other things that I've seen is just the outright, not absurd stuff that they do, but like disgusting and like nasty things. Like Danny DeVito like put himself on a couch and was oh, like in a couch. That's not the worst thing that happens on that show. <laughs> no. Like it was inside of a couch for what like I don't know was like days. Yeah, so just He's hiding inside of a couch because he is uh, trying to spy on his employees at his business to figure out which one of them say bad things about him so he can fire them. Isn't... And then halfway through the party, he gets too hot because he's in a leather couch and he cuts his way out uh, yep. and he's covered in he's covered in sweat and he's just a naked, sweaty Danny DeVito crawling out of a leather couch. Yep. And that's pretty much like a pretty good symbolage of what this show is. Oh, yeah. That's pretty memorable. I'll just tell yeah. you that. Well, let's let's get into the meat and potatoes because I want to talk about the origins. So this started with our three main characters. We got Charlie Day, who we're all familiar with mm-hmm. from hit uh, movies like, uh, what was the one where he got into a fight with Ice Cube? What? <laughs> I don't know. That happened. Is it Horrible Bosses? Or No, he was in Horrible Bosses too, but yeah. there was one where he like gets into a physical altercation with another uh teacher at a school that he's teaching at. He was also in Pacific Rim, sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um Glenn Howerton Fist Fight. Fist That's Fight. That's the movie. Yep. <laughs> Glenn Howerton is Dennis, by the way. Yep. That's Dennis Reynolds. And he was in another. Um, he was also in another uh, TV show where he played a teacher. Yeah, it was like a bad teacher spinoff, but it was with a, a man, and it, it was AP Bio. I we got our fact checker, and she's hot on the ball right I now. I really enjoyed that show. It was really good. Yeah, have you? Did they continue, or is it over? It might be over. Uh, yeah, it looks like it's over. It had its last season in twenty twenty one. Nice. I need to finish that because I remember watching the first season and not much more of it. Um, but the third player who brought this to life was um, Rob McElhenney. Did I pronounce that terribly? Uh, eh, I don't know. know. <laughs> <laughs> I call him Rob. We're all from like, the general same this area of the U.S. The, like, worst, come on. <laughs> the worst part is, is that I know these people by Charlie, Dennis, and Mac. Yep. And that's how I'm going <laughs> to refer to them for the rest of the episode. Love it. Um, but Rob is Mac. Um, so here's they first met, right? They they came together because they were all auditioning for Tuck Everlasting, mm. the musical. Yeah, and other projects in New York City. And later they met up again when they were all auditioning in Los Angeles for TV series. He's basically doing the actors grind. You know the one. 
So they were going for similar parts because they're all, you know, about equal in age and um, they're all white men. So they're all going after the same parts. Um, they moved to Los Angeles around the same time and even had the same uh, talent manager, Nick Frenkel. I wish I could pronounce names. Anyway, um, so Day and Howerton notably got to know each other on a car ride back from a testing for that 80s show um, in late 2001, which obviously didn't make it to fruition, but now we're doing that 90s show, so who cares? Who cares about when the 80s? Howerton, what'd you say? So nobody cares about the 80s. What's notable about that other than hair metal? Uh, the 80s were not that big you're right there wasn't much other than hair metal um so when howerton was cast as Corey howard and day did not get a part uh in it basically so they're writing back and charlie day's like hey man congrats uh i didn't get a part though you know um so while living in new york charlie day had been making comedic home movies with jimmy simpson who um, is one of the uh, sort of redneck family members on Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Um, Nate Mooney, who also carried over to that same family in Always Sunny in Philadelphia. David Hornsby, who plays cricket in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, for for those of you uh, Always Sunny fans out there. And Logan Marshall Green, whom I cannot identify, but I'm sure that he played a character. I think that he actually now looking at him might have been the uh army guy who D thought was uh stuck to a wheelchair but then he was able to stand up and <laughs> D was like you can walk and it was a whole thing. Um they're terrible people. We can get into that later. But those were Charlie Day's friends from Williamstown Theater Festival. Uh many of whom would later go on to be involved in Always Sunny, which inspired Michael Henney and um, Howerton to make a short film of their own with Charlie Day. They were like, "We need to make a f- we need to make a short film with him, right?" So you're kind of seeing where this is going. <laughs> these three actors who are all desperate for work see these short films being made by, um, being made by this like weird dude who they've been hanging out with, and decide. Hey, we want to do that, too, because we don't have any work right now. (laughs) Create your own destiny. Exactly. So uh, the guy who plays Mac in particular had been writing screenplays between jobs. And since none of them were picked up, he decided to shoot them himself with Howerton, the guy who plays Dennis. Mm -hmm. And uh, the guy who plays Charlie... And the other actor friends all agreed to be in these. So the main writer was Mac, right? And then the, like, quote-unquote casting director was Charlie because he brought all of these, like, weird New York theater people in. Um, And then Howerton was just, like, also there to be, like, the leading man, which in terms of their characters and Always Sunny fits so, so well. (laughs) Um, the decision to make their own short films was further influenced by the release of the affordable Panasonic DVX-100A digital camera, as well as the accessible, low-budget look of a lot of really popular sitcoms at the time, which 
was uh, specifically The Office UK, uh, yeah. so the original Office, yeah. and Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> Great places to draw inspiration from. I mean, take that into consideration because Curb Your Enthusiasm is like this sarcastic, like snarky comedy comes from misfortune of others, right? Oh, yeah. And then The Office UK is based almost solely in um, British humor, which is always like punching down at the main character. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> like, they find it funny when the protagonist fails, right? Yeah. Um, so let's talk about how all of this relates back to It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, other than the key cast members already being there, and we've kind of set up the plot for um, this idea that they had this group of friends who are making these short movies. So It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia grew out of the idea for a short film conceived late one night by the guy who plays Mac, where a friend comes over to another friend's house to get sugar, and the friend tells him that he has cancer. And all that the other guy can think about is how he can get his sugar and get out of there. (laughs) Which, didn't they use that scenario as the basis for all of their casting? Um... I've seen casting videos kind of? of everyone doing these different scenes, especially, uh, uh, I can't remember her name right now, but she plays Sweet D. Uh, mm-hmm. I've, I've seen her casting video and is that exact scenario. It's Caitlin Olsen, by the way. Yes, that's mm-hmm. right. Yep. Yep, yep. By the way, um, so go ahead. So by the way, and I think you might be getting to this, but it, the original pilot was made for $200. Well, we'll we'll get to something similar to that, um, but that's what a lot of people think is that the original was made for two hundred dollars. Really? Um, yeah, but we'll we'll get into okay. it. So, um, for this short film about this guy who uh, goes over to his friend's house for sugar and finds out that his friend has cancer and then just wants to leave because of the awkwardness of the situation. He wrote the scene down before taking it to the guy who plays Dennis the next day to flesh it out and work on making it actually funny because you got to be very careful with especially that theme. Um, Charlie was soon roped in and the first script was written featuring three struggling actors in L.A. named Charlie, Glenn, and Mac, right? Hmm. (laughs) We're almost there. Um, And the ensuing awkwardness around Charlie's cancer diagnosis so they're actors in LA and Charlie has cancer. And that's what the premise of this kind of rolled into. Um, the home movies were shot and reshot multiple times initially with Hornsby and uh, Hornsby playing the Mac character and uh, the guy who would ultimately go on to play Mac just staying behind the camera and directing. So at the time, uh, Mac was played by Dennis, <laughs> which is even funnier. <laughs> it was via this process that um, the guy who plays Mac, the guy who plays Charlie, and the guy who plays Dennis learned the basics of shooting, editing, and other aspects of filmmaking. The three then developed a second quote-unquote episode of their home movie series, um, this time focused on the cringe humor from Mac's sense of shame around his relationship with Carmen, a transgender woman, which would later find its way onto the actual Always Sunny in Philadelphia TV show. Um, At this point, it became clear that the home movies had potential as a television series, 
instead of short films that were envisioned as originally. Both parts would eventually end up in the episode Charlie Has Cancer, which literally takes both of those concepts and throws them together. Nice. (laughs) So at the time, the home movie was titled It's Always Sunny on TV. Um, After an aha song, The Sun Always Shines on TV, that Howerton was listening to while stretching at a crunch gym in West Hollywood, uh, they decided to try to name it that. Um, It was later changed to reflect that in the unaired pilot. Um, The gang has been rewritten as bar owners in Philadelphia instead of actors in L.A., right? So eventually we got there. And we'll kind of talk about why a bit later on. But this was then developed into a pilot called It's Always Sunny on TV and was shot on a digital camcorder and filmed in the actors' own apartments. Um, They expanded the central cast of four people living in Los Angeles to a group of best friends who care very little about each other, um, which is kind of the premise of Always Sunny. Uh, It was believed that the pilot was shot with a budget of $200, Patrick, but Charlie Day would later comment, they literally did not have $200. (laughs) They had nothing. It was shot for nothing. They don't know where the $200 came from. Um, There were just a bunch of kids with cameras running around shooting each other. And the next thing they knew, they were 11 years in and still doing the show. They had no budget for the first episode. Incredible. (laughs) They were kind of do-it-yourselfers when it came to the TV series because the pilot was even chopped by the actors around various studios. Um, Their pitch being simply showing the DVD of the pilot to executives. And then after viewing the pilot... Eventually, they struck up a deal with FX Network ordering the first season of the show. So it's always been on FX, too. It's not one of those that have been like migrating from Adult Swim to Fox to eventually be picked up by FX. It's been FX the whole time. Um, The show was budgeted at uh, a little bit less than half a million an episode. So a little bit better, considering they spent nothing (laughs) on the first one. Um, Less than a third of the network standard, by the way. So most were getting way more per episode. This was considered low. And I guess for these guys, they were like, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, they were still using the Panasonic uh, digital camera to film the first like season Crazy. of the show. And that's why when you watch the first season, it looks so like crunchy, quote unquote. Mm. Um the original concept of the gang being out of work actors with the theme song being a cha-cha version of hooray for Hollywood. Uh, however, there were too many shows at the time with this similar premise. Uh, the network basically came to them and said, we don't want a show about actors. And they said, fine, we'll put it somewhere else. Um, so it was actually the guy who plays Mac who said, I'm from Philly. Let's put it in Philly and we'll make it about a bar because that's a job where you can, have a lot of free time and still have income that could explain how these people can sustain themselves, which is like, if you want to give me money to make this show, right? And yeah. It's like my dream to make this show. Yeah. I'm going to make whatever changes you ask me to. <laughs> and it's even better if that means that I can just work even closer to what I already know, which is what it's like to live in Philadelphia. <laughs> Um, prior to Caitlin Olson joining the show, the character Sweet D was originally played by Jordan Reed, who was the uh, girlfriend at the time of the guy who plays Mac, 
Um, but after they broke up, he recasted her. <laughs> <laughs> and then he went on to marry Caitlin Olson. Hell wow. yeah. <laughs> so, guess it really is always sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> Am I right, ladies? Um, huh? After the... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just like... <laughs> Never mind. I was just like, the ladies are like, oh, what are you talking about? It's it's the jokes we don't tell that are the funniest. Um, so after the first season, FX executives were worried about the show's low ratings and demanded that a change be made to the cast. Um, so John Landgaff, who was at the time the president of FX, um, called them in for a meeting, and he said, hey, no one's watching the show, but we at FX love it. Um, he said, uh, we want to keep it on, but we don't have any money for marketing and we need to add somebody with some panache that, uh, we can hopefully parlay into some public relations story so that we can get people talking. At, it was at that time that FX began suggesting actors such as Danny DeVito. Hey, <laughs> nice. <laughs> because Danny DeVito at the time was a huge name in Hollywood, uh, because of his work on Taxi. Uh, mm. which was a sitcom in the 80s and maybe the 90s, but I'm not really too sure about that. Um, so what what is our timetable for? What, like, what year are we in right now? <laughs> so season one happened in 2001. Okay, gotcha. Yep. So right now we're maybe at 2004. Okay. I don't know for sure. I'm, I'm telling you the story. I don't know the dates. <laughs> um, so they said, hey, we should put Danny DeVito on the show. He's a huge name. It'll it'll boost the show's profile um and howardson has gone on record to say it's not that we weren't it's not that we were reticent on the idea of danny uh being added to the show it's that we were reticent to name to add a name to the show you know because we kind of liked that we were no names and that it was this weird small thing you know um Initially, uh, the guy who played Mac straight up refused being the director of most episodes saying, no, I just don't think we want to do that. Um, and then when the executives were like, oh, OK, the show's over, they realized, OK, yeah, let's just add DeVito. <laughs> so basically, they were like, we're not going to do that. The executives said, well, if you don't, then we're going to cancel you. And they went, can we get Danny DeVito tomorrow? <laughs> Ended up being... Probably one of the best decisions they ever made. <laughs> I was gonna say. Yes. So Danny DeVito joined the cast in the first episode of the second season, playing the father of Dee and Dennis. Uh, and the rest is kind of history for the show. Not too much happened developmental-wise, but once Danny DeVito was added, all of our cast of characters have been laid on stage for us to see. Um, so just from that alone... I think it's kind of inspirational how these three actors basically built this from the ground up and did whatever it took to make it work and ended up creating something really awesome. They created their own destiny, which is crazy. They literally, yeah. with no budget whatsoever, have outlasted friends. And, like, I mean, everybody knows who Jennifer Aniston and all them are, so it's crazy. Yeah. Speaking of characters, let's take a moment to sort of do a quick character run-through. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, we'll get into some of my favorite episodes and I'll tell you the reasons why, uh, 
But first, let me just re-familiarize you with some of the characters in the actual show. So now we're just talking about the show. We've talked about the beginnings. Let's talk about the show. So first off, we have Charlie Day as Charlie Kelly. Kept the name Charlie. Uh, he's the co-owner and janitor of Patty's Pub. He is childhood friends of Mac and a high school friend of Dennis and Dee. Uh, he lives in squalor with Frank in a rundown vermin-infested apartment and has a deep-seated psychological or has many deep-seated psychological problems, partially due to substance abuse from huffing paint and glue, and partly due to his complicated family background, possibly involving child abuse. He regularly eats various items not meant for human consumption, such as cat food, stickers, and bleach. Uh, he is arguably the simplest member of the gang, despite his general lack of intelligence and his illiteracy. Charlie is a naturally gifted musician, a self-proclaimed expert in quote-unquote bird law, and possibly the only, um, the only competent worker at Patty's Pub with his knack for unorthodox maintenance practices, quote-unquote Charlie work. He also has an unhealthy obsession with the waitress, quote unquote, a reoccurring character who uh, finds his interest in her creepy. Oof. Problematic. <laughs> That's the first thing that you need to know about this yeah, show. Yeah, is yeah, it's yeah. Problematic, it is. But and it's yeah, self-aware problematic. Fully embraced. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. Next, we have uh, Glenn Howerton as Dennis Reynolds, the co-owner and the main bartender of Patty's Pub, in addition to being Dee's twin brother and Frank's son. Originally the most intelligent and normal-seeming of the three co-owners, Dennis is slowly revealed to be the most narcissistic and psychopathic of the gang. Dennis mm -hmm. is extremely superficial, selfish, vain, and abrasive. His predatory nature is often depicted through numerous attempts to seduce various women, which, when successful, result in him gaslighting and emotionally abusing them in order to win over their favor before inevitably dumping them once he has had sex with them. This is known as the Dennis system in the show. Uh, he lays it out very plainly, almost those exact steps. Um, it is strongly hinted that at times uh, that Dennis may be a serial killer, uh, though this kind of remains ambiguous. In season 10, he is diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, though he frequently denies this and believes himself to be completely rational and is convinced that he is in complete control of everything and everyone around him, going as far as to label himself a golden god, quote-unquote. <laughs> in the season 12 finale, Dennis reveals to the rest of the gang that he has an infant son and moves to North Dakota to raise him. He returns to Philadelphia in season 13, supposedly supporting his family from a distance. Creepy. What? This it's is a comedy, yeah. <laughs> by the way. <laughs> Very controlling. Wow. I, yeah, that's that's crazy character, man. This is a comedy. Uh, yeah. All of everything I just told you, all of those facts were a punchline at some point. <laughs> that's wild. And that's going to continue as we Oof. keep reading through. So we have Rob McKelhenley. I'm I'm trashing his last name. Anyway, he's Mac. Um, he is co-owner and self-proclaimed bouncer of Patty's Pub. He is Charlie's childhood friend and Dennis's high school friend and later roommate. His son, he's the son of a convicted felon who has been in prison for much of Mac's life. He frequently attempts to demonstrate his toughness and refers to himself as the Sheriff of Patty's. Deeply insecure, Mac seeks the approval of those around him, especially his father, uh, his apathetic and emotionally absent mother, and Dennis. 
He suffers from body dysmorphia and has been depicted at various weights throughout the course of the series. Prior to the beginning of season seven, he gained 60 pounds and was diagnosed with type two diabetes. And when he finally returned to a healthy weight, he admitted he missed supposedly coming across as scary to people. (laughs) By season 13, he is noticeably ripped and physically stronger. He often brags about his hand-to-hand combat, but typically flees from uh, physical confrontation and is usually depicted as the most cowardly of the gang. Mac is Roman Catholic, though he often um, espouses strong Christian fundamentalist opinions. Uh, Despite his often amoral behavior, such as casual sex with numerous women, including Dennis's Dennis's and Dee's mother, um, though it is frequently... Uh, insinuated Mac harbors homosexual feelings. Uh, he maintains an adamant denial of any such proclivity, uh, much to the gang's annoyance, until he comes out in season 12. Uh, later episodes reveal that Mac is sexually attracted to his best friend, Dennis. Oof. I want to talk for a second about Mac because the whole body dysmorphia thing and him gaining 60 pounds is something that the actor actually went through. Yep. And the reason that he did that and the reason he gives is because he says in every sitcom he's ever watched, as the show continues on, the characters get hotter. He wanted his character to get less hot Yeah. the further it went on. So he purposefully tried to like wear too small of shirts, spill food on him and like all of that. Well, if I remember right, I think I remember seeing some trivia that, like, he wanted all of the characters to get fat just for a joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after, like, doing it, he was the only one who actually followed through with it. Every- and they showed up to, like, shoot the first day, and they're just like, no, that's stupid. <laughs> Who's the one that ended up looking like a Greek god? Like, there's somebody that's, like, absolute, like, That's, that's I think Mac. It's- that's Mac. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one, one who Annie. just, who yeah. got fat for the show. Yeah. And then he turned around and got ripped for the show because he thought that'd be funny as well. Yeah, he just wanted it to go nuts. Like they, Um, Rob, like Rob McElhenney is the definition of like he will die by the bit. Yep. Like, (laughs) and and God bless him for it. Somebody, so I was watching a TikTok and it came across uh, McElhenney, right? And he, somebody asked him, "How do you get his body? His body, like." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he was like, "Well, you know, first off, you're gonna need a trainer, and then you're gonna have to give up all the food that you like, and then, uh, you know, you like alcohol, right? Everybody likes alcohol." And he's like, "You don't get any alcohol anymore." <laughs> and yeah, then he, he's like, "And then he's like, you have a job. Well, you're gonna want to quit that because you're not gonna be able to do that job for." While <laughs> well, and like out. meanwhile, as he's like describing, it's like, "Yeah, it's all just so easy. Just like, yeah. <laughs> just what do you mean you it was can't a do a giant this? joke." <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I think I also saw that same TikTok, and he was like, well, first things first is you're going to want to get a TV show because they're going to have to pay for all of this because it's going to get expensive, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Um, so continuing on the character list, we have Caitlin Olson as Deandra Sweet D. Reynolds. Mm-hmm. She is a waitress and sometimes bartender at Patty's Pub, as well as Dennis's twin sister and Frank's daughter. Though initially depicted as the gang's The Voice of Reason, quote-unquote, in the pilot episode, she gradually loses any sense of moral fortitude uh, that she once had and is frequently shown to be just as prejudiced and deprived as her male friends by the end of season one. Dee wore a back brace in high school, leaving her with the nickname the Aluminum Monster. And <laughs> what a nickname. She is fre- yeah, and she is frequently referred to by the gang as a bird. Uh, Dee lives alone in an apartment, uh, though she... 
Though often the butt of the gang's joke, she frequently involves herself in their schemes, perhaps due to her constant need for approval and attention of her peers. Uh, she does not hold any ownership stake in the bar, perhaps due to the gang's various prejudice against her, but also in part to her desire to become a professional actress slash comedian. Uh, in multiple episodes, it is referenced that Dee set her college roommate on fire and is portrayed as the most physically violent of the group. Despite uh, expressing, expressing outward disgust at her brother's more predatorial behavior, later episodes reveal Dee uh, not to be ab above such behaviors yeah, herself. They're cut from the same uh, cloth. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. man, what is this show? <laughs> it's a comedy. Yeah. Don't you know that? This isn't funny to of, you? <laughs> with a bunch of... Uh, What's the word looking for? A bunch of narcissistic people. <laughs> They're pieces of shit yeah. because they don't. They purposely wrote the show to not make you want to be them. Yeah, I can they see want that. you to watch them like you would watch animals fight in a zoo. Like that's what they want. <laughs> they want you to watch them because they are so terrible. But anyway, last one. The last of the gang is Danny DeVito as Frank Reynolds. Mm -hmm. Uh, father of Dennis and Dee Reynolds and the majority owner of Patty's Pub soon after his introduction in season two onward. Frank is a millionaire that often funds and enables the gang's worst schemes and impulses just to feel a sense of youthfulness and energy. He was once a successful businessman with a long history of illegal operations and dealings uh, with sordid characters, but chooses to abandon that life and redeem himself after leaving his quote, and this is a quote from the show, Whore wife, Barbara Reynolds. <laughs> he says it all the time. Uh, it is revealed by the end of season two that D and Dennis are products of an affair and not actually his biological children. Uh, he has since embraced his feral nature and described himself as fringe class, quote unquote. Despite his uh, substantial financial resources, he chooses to share a decrepit studio apartment with Charlie where they sleep together on a pull-out couch and have a surprisingly affectionate pseudo-father-son relationship. The two have similar interests, such as playing an explicit bull game of night crawlers and foraging naked in sewers for valuables. He always arms himself with at least one loaded gun uh, and often snorts cocaine as part of his daily routine. Sounds like a man I want to get to know. <laughs> y yes. <laughs> So that's the gang. We've laid out the characters. You've met them all. Uh, so let's talk about two of my favorite episodes. The first of my favorite episodes, and the one that I think about the most when I think of Always Sunny in Philadelphia, is from um, Season 9, Episode 3, and it's called The Gang Tries Desperately to Win an Award. Okay. Are you guys familiar with this? No. The title no. doesn't sound familiar, but I, I'm sure I've seen parts of it. Okay. Let's visit, a, first off, a synopsis. Um, tired of failing to be recognized for their years of service in the bar industry, the gang changes their ways to give the patrons what they think they want. That sounds like a great recipe for disaster. Yeah, uh, no okay. nothing quite like uh, four narcissists who have no connection to reality trying to figure out what other people like. <laughs> Correct. So let's talk about a recap. So it's 2.30 p.m. on on a Friday. Um, Dennis, D, Mac, and Charlie are arguing over uh, the latter lack of sanitation products when Frank walks in and announces the annual Bar Association Award 
which the rest of the gang deems as stupid. Yet they uh, express concern over the fact that their bar has never been nominated, believing that they deserve the same kind of recognition as other bars, and start to get upset about it. They decide to play the game while still claiming they don't care about it. Right? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some of the things they do. Uh, first, they visit the Restaurant Bar Association office where Frank tries to seduce the rep into a nomination. However, he finds out that it only costs $10 to apply for the competition, and that's all they have to do, and then they're nominated. Um, they say that they have sent this form to Patty's Pub in years prior, but all they received on the uh, flyer that they sent out was, quote, fecal matter, urine, and racial slurs. Wonderful. Sounds about right. <laughs> To which the gang claims is just their sense of humor. <laughs> um, Frank insists that this time they're going to take it uh, for real, uh, but gets he attempts to pay the fee, but gets uh, splattered in the face by a paintball when he opens the case, a prank that the others were playing to pull on the rep as part of their humor, but didn't work out. Um, once the gang leaves the office, they discuss their sense of humor and they realize that it doesn't appeal to the restaurant and bar industry. Charlie insists on writing a song for the bar to help them stand out from others, but the others don't agree to it. At that point, Charlie heads back to the bar to write a song regardless, while the rest go to check out a, uh, comp to check out the competition. Um, they visit a bar called Suds, which won Best Bar Award, and are immediately put off by the colorful lights and loud atmosphere and pop music. Um, they start to realize that some of the reasons why this bar is successful is because of the characters within the bar, such as two of the bartenders who seem to have a will-they-won't-they they relationship. Ah, uh, Are you starting to get it? Yep. Yeah. Uh-huh. Putting the pieces together. At this point, the gang slowly decides that they love the atmosphere of the friendly bar, um, and they plan on changing their bar to have a very similar idea. Um, oh, they no. Then, yeah. So back at Patty's, the gang is trying to incorporate what they've seen at Suds into their bar, but Frank comes in with a new idea to make everything darker and edgier based on a burlesque bar slash strip joint that he and Artemis went to the other night which has also won awards. Oh, God. Um, Dennis also mentions a bar that opened just down the street from them, which already won a ton of awards, meaning uh, their location isn't the issue. Frank's questions if they are, if, quote-unquote, they are the issue, but the others Never. immediately deny it. No. Charlie then announces that he just finished the song for the bar and plays it for the gang, which turns out surprisingly tasteful, and they all seem to enjoy it. Uh, however, Frank ends up locking himself in the basement to prevent him from playing at opening night. Oh, God. <laughs> of course. So, in uh, sort of conclusion, the gang dresses Patty in, Patty is in tropical colored lights and decorations similar to Suds uh, and play lighthearted fun pop music to a full house, uh, which the rep and execs attend. They also invite Z to serve as their quote-unquote black friend, though they are nervous that his quote-unquote gangster vibe will not gel well with the customers. Um, when a customer asks for a drink, Mac fumbles in his comedic banter and makes it sound like they ejaculate in the drinks. Uh, Frank sets up a burlesque room in his office. 
and Dennis goes to help while having Mac and D do a will they won't they moment, which turns ugly when D ends up insulting Mac's mother, uh, causing the latter to choke her in anger. Suddenly, Charlie's high on spray paint, climbs out of the floor, and prepares playing his song, much to the other's dismay. Z then brings back his other friends with similar gangster vibes so that the gang decides to show the execs their burlesque room only to stumble into an awkward situation between Frank and Artemis in which a bottle got stuck up Frank's rear end. Charlie announces his song to the bar and the gang, having run out of ideas, believes it'll lighten the mood, but it ends up being in bad taste, ending with Charlie telling everyone to go fuck themselves. Uh, he begins spitting at the customers and the rest quickly join, join spitting uh, most of the customers, including the execs out of the bar. After everyone leaves, the gang realizes the problem is them, but they don't need an award or any outside validation. They are just happy the way they are, though they are still disappointed at not winning an award. I mean, what was that fever dream of an episode? So my thing, dude? What does it mean? <laughs> though is like... That that sort of descent into just calamity and madness is something that I feel like happens every episode. This episode, to answer your question, Patrick, was written in response to the fact that in nine seasons, Always Sunny in Philadelphia was never nominated for an Emmy. Mm. Uh... And the entire episode is used as a way of making fun of the Emmys and <laughs> making fun of other TV shows. By including things like a will-they-won't-they relationship, uh, things like a theme song written to pet people up and make them happy when they're watching it, Um, the idea of the color of someone's skin dictating whether or not they win the award, Um, and at the end of it, they realize they don't care, they don't want to win, they just want to be themselves, and the people who are in charge of the Emmys can go fuck themselves. Nice. (laughs) That's hilarious. That is the meaning of this whole episode. I was going to say that, like, that sitcom, like, them making fun of it is, like, pretty much by that point, you're putting out every sitcom that there is. I was thinking of, like, How I Met Your Mother, the Will They, Won't They with Robin versus, um, God, what's his name? Ted. 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 Um, and then the theme song being that, uh, from The Office, the, the peppy theme song mm-hmm. in the beginning, that was my thought. All of those are shows that won Emmys. This was always Sunny being like, you guys don't want to give us an Emmy, and we actually don't give a fuck. (laughs) Instead, we're going to make an episode about this. How incredible would it have been for them to win an Emmy for that episode? (laughs) Well, they won a lot of Emmys after that episode. I'm sure. That's the funny thing. (laughs) Uh, Awards that they've won include... um, So they were nominated for three Emmys. They actually never won. Sorry. I guess I lied. Mm. But they were nominated in 2013, 2014, and 2015 for actually outstanding stunt coordination for a comedy series or variety program. So that's funny. (laughs) But they did win um, poster single at the Muse Creative Awards. They won, um, or Charlie Day won Best Supporting Actor in a Comedy Series at the Online Film and Television Award. Um, They won the People's Choice Awards for Favorite Cable TV Comedy. Uh, They won the Satellite Award for Best Television Series Comedy or Musical. Um, that was in 2011. They won that. That was so, a while ago. <laughs> there's one more episode that I want to go over, and Michael, I think this is going to be exciting for you because that episode is, of course, the Nightman Cometh. Yes. <laughs> this is season four, episode 13, entitled "The Nightman Cometh." 
It's very good. Oh God. Nightmare. I'm ready for this. Oh. Lay it on me. It's maybe one of the greatest episodes of any television series. Yeah. Of all time. 100% agree. Charlie Day, uh, Charlie's character, of course, yep. stages a rock opera based on his song, The Nightman. Uh, he recruits the rest of the gang to help him with it. That's the synopsis. Yep. Okay. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. So it's 7.15 on a Friday. Charlie dances out of Patty's office with a giant heap of papers in his hand. The gang tries to understand why he's so cheery, and he reveals that he has written a musical. They try to figure out what motivated him, revenge, anger, jealousy, but Charlie insists he wrote it just for fun. Right? Yeah. Now at a theater, Charlie thanks Artemis for helping transcribe the script he, uh, into words, and the gang argues over the parts. Mac is initially pleased with playing the little boy and Dayman, which makes Dennis, who is playing the Nightman, jealous. The two switch parts, uh, Frank is over the moon about playing the troll, and Dee plays the princess that works at the coffee shop. Perfect roles for each and every one of them. You're so right. <laughs> uh, they begin rehearsing, and Dee argues with Charlie over her song lyrics, claiming they sound like she molests children. What the hell? <laughs> he flips out, telling her that it is either that the song or... It's either that song or no song at all, basically, is what he says. Um, this song is Dee's only solo song in the play, so she says, fine, I'll do it. Um, he then has to teach Frank to say boy's soul rather than boy's whole mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, convinces Mac and Dennis that the nightman visits the boy. He is not R-worrying him, um, but rather just taking away his innocence. What is going on? <laughs> They're pretty convinced that he is being, you know, yeah. taking advantage of. Yeah. yeah. Uh, later, Charlie randomly walks into the waitress as she is walking home. He gives her a ticket to the musical and promises that if she comes, he will never bother her ever again for the rest of her life. Uh, the night of the musical arrives, Charlie brings Gladys to play the piano. Um, the boy or the play starts, and D and Dennis complete their first song: "Tiny Boy, Little Boy, Baby Boy." <laughs> uh, the lyrics are like this: "Princess, what is this strange feeling? Boy, I feel so strange inside. Princess, it's so strange but appealing. Boy, I feel so good. Oh, princess." Tiny boy, little boy, baby boy, I need you. Tiny boy, little boy, I want to touch you, boy. I need you, boy. Tiny boy, little boy, baby boy, I need you. <laughs> so on and so forth. And you can kind of see where this is going. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, what the mm-hmm. heck? <laughs> uh, then D sings her own song called Just To Be Clear, which is an explanation to what that was about and that she does not, in fact, touch little boys. Which enrages Charlie since that is not the song that he wrote and it messes up the play in Charlie's eyes. Dennis gloats that the audience loves him and Max says he is aiming for gasps instead of laughs. After entering the stage to laughter, Mac and Frank sing The Troll Toll. Um, which goes kind of like this, realizing that he's saying boy's soul, but it sounds like he's saying boy's hole. 
So he says, you got to pay the troll toll. Uh, if you want to get into that boy's hole, you got to pay the troll toll to get in. You want that baby boy's hole, you got to play the troll. You got to pay the troll toll. You got to pay the troll toll to get in. Oh, dang. oh my God. It's yeah. the how thing is this that episode. How is this episode still up? Like, that's so it's bad. actually so good. Um, and Mac makes the um, experience between him and Dennis extremely graphic, by the way. Uh, so it gets very bad. Um, the next scene begins and Dennis transforms into the day man and sings uh, the song Day Man which is probably the most recognizable song that goes, Dayman, ah, master of the night, man, ah, <laughs> champion of the sun. <laughs> He's a master of karate and friendship for everyone. And it repeats like seven more times. Um, he and Mac have their stage fight scene, uh, which is partially improvised. As everybody fumbles their lines and makes mistakes, Charlie gets increasingly upset backstage. After the reprise of The Day Man, Charlie descends on a sun above the stage wearing all yellow and sings the song Marry Me to the Waitress. Uh, That song goes like this. I was that little boy. That little boy was me. I was once a boy, but now I am a man. I fought the nightman, lived as Dayman, and now I'm here to ask for your hand. So if you want to... Thunder. Wow. I'll be here in, here in a sec. Yep, yeah, there it is. <laughs> so if you want to marry me to marry men, will you marry me? Will you come on the stage and join me in this thing called matrimony? Please say yes and do not bone me. Please just marry me. Oh my god. <laughs> the amount She angrily the she angrily declines. It's so Yeah. It's like <laughs> The amount of genius that it takes to come up with something that is intentionally so cringy is incredible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so she angrily declines his proposal and walks out. Frank tries tries to console him, which only makes him more upset. And that's the end of the episode. Greatest piece of television ever written. Still one of the greatest pieces of television ever written. So... Um, wow. Just, wow. Those are my two favorite episodes. If you're going to watch any episodes, you should watch those two episodes because mm-hmm. they are the best episodes. They also have Charlie's like best original music in them. <laughs> so, so I want to ask, is there any sh- is there any episode that's like banned from airing on TV? Like, ooh. I don't think so because I think they're pretty smart about how they play. They but... must have really good lawyers <laughs> or like really good at walking the fine line. Or, F- or F- FX just lets them do whatever they want. And episodes. Um, season 14, episode 3, D-Day. This episode was banned because D brought back all of her racist characters from banned episodes past. There are a lot of banned episodes, apparently. <laughs> I was going to say, there is, there is no way that this show is the way it is without there being banned episodes. Oh, my God. This Google search yeah. just un- unloaded a whole box. You know what? Here's here's what I promise you, Patrick. I will use my quick this next week to go over the banned episodes of Always Sunny in Philadelphia and why they're banned. Does that sound good? That works for me. 100%. Great. Because I, what a great question. I don't have the answer to. Um, so 
let's if you like Always Sunny in Philadelphia or you've liked what we've talked about, of course, go watch the show. If you've already watched the show and you want more Always Sunny in Philadelphia, I have this next segment called More Always Sunny. And here it is. The Nightman Cometh Live. Uh, in September of 2009, the cast took their show live. The gang performed the musical The Nightman Cometh in New York City, Boston, Seattle, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and, of course, Philadelphia. Um, uh, Mary Elizabeth Ellis and Artemis uh, also appeared to perform as the waitress and Artemis. Um, Danny DeVito's wife also assumed the role of Gladys. Uh, the creator, the guy who plays Mac, said that the live nation uh, originally approached the cast about doing the show at 30 cities, but uh, the end, the cast settled on just six. Um, but yeah, for a while there, you could have gone and seen The Nightman Cometh live, Oof. which is wild you can still look it up and you can watch it uh and it's also included as a bonus feature in the season four dvd box set so it's out there you can watch it the full the nightman cometh and you will have a great time um another thing that you can look into is the russian adaptation of it's always sunny in philadelphia called it's always sunny in moscow in which the four central friends work in a bar called philadelphia that is in (laughs) moscow (laughs) interesting uh there's a book a book is based upon It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Uh, it was released on January 6th of 2015. It is entitled The Gang Writes a Self-Help Book, The Seven Secrets of Awakening the Highly Effective uh, Four-Hour Giant Today. <laughs> Four-Hour Giant? Yeah. All right. All right. It's yeah. probably insane. I was There's say. also... I was... There's also a... Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I mean, like, four narcissists. So it it's wrote from the perspective of the four characters. The characters, yeah. So it's just four narcissists writing about stuff. A self-help book. Wow. All right. <laughs> sounds awesome. <laughs> sounds like a great time. Um, They also have a podcast on November 9th yeah. of 2021. Howerton Day and Mikkel Henley uh, started the Always Sunny podcast, an episode-by-episode recap of the show with Megan Gaz as producer and Caitlin Olson occasionally guest starring. So there's a lot out there if you like Always Sunny. So to sum things up and to kind of close this segment, the main takeaways from the story of Always Sunny in Philadelphia is one that spans all of entertainment but is important nonetheless. Take chances and bets on yourself. You never truly know how far your self-made album, uh, watercolor painting, entertainment podcast, or short film might go. You may make it big, or you may get addicted to crack. Either way, <laughs> thanks for entertaining this. Nice. nice. <laughs> I didn't ending. talk about it, but one of, the, one of the huge things about Always Sunny is the fact that Dee and uh, Dennis try to get money from the government by getting addicted to crack. Yep, I remember that one. <laughs> and they actually get addicted to crack, <laughs> the characters. Um. Right, so anyway, okay. that makes sense. Hey, Mike. <laughs> yeah. Got to quick this for us. Oh boy, do I. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Who wants to start a timer? I'm gonna start a timer. Yeah. Set. Yeah. Go. All right. So a long while ago. I brought to the table a topic that uh, I know Alex and uh, host at the time, Nick, uh, weren't the biggest fans of. But for me personally, it means a lot. Oh, joy. Uh, I talked about the sport of football 
specifically the NFL. And then... when was this? Because I remember once the Bengals started doing stuff, my love for football was reignited. Yeah. So, so this is the I'm year back be- in the saddle now. The year before that, because uh, I was talking about uh, the big game, uh, the superb owl as entertainment. I remember that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I was like, you can't say the, <laughs> they don't like it. Yep. Um, Fair. but there was one thing that I talked about in that, uh, that episode that did pique their interest. And this was the topic of fantasy football. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to just shine. We love fantasy. I just wanted to shine a little bit of light on this little subsection of uh, sports entertainment because I have been diving into it more recently and I love it so much. Um, so essentially, the whole idea of fantasy football, it's not like you roll dice and you come up with a class. It's like, oh, I'm, I am running back Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, within this Arguably mystical world. Made it better, but we'll Arguably. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but what it is, is it is essentially a way to... Um, well, here, let's back it up even further. Let's talk back to the beginnings of, of it. Well, let's go back to 1962 when part owner of the Oakland Raiders, Bill Winkenbach, uh, uh, gathered with some of his friends in New York City and they decided to create the first ever fantasy football league, uh, which they called it the G-O-P-P-P-L, uh, otherwise known as the Greater Oakland Professional Pigston Procrastinators League. Uh, nice. <laughs> um, essentially, the whole idea of it is that uh, each person acts as a commissioner or an owner of their made-up team where they will draft through a thing that mimics the actual NFL draft uh, individual players and where you will uh, you will get points based off of that individual player's performance that week. Um, and the whole idea is, is that you would go head to head against another person within the league at the same time. So it creates these matchups between each owner. Um, honestly, not much of that has changed to this day. There's lots of evolutions on it, but that's still basically it. Um, we have like different ideas of like, uh, like a front to back draft, which is where it's like, you go start at like first all the way to the last person and then it goes back to the first person and then all the way back. But now we also have what is a more popular method called a snake draft snake draft being where you start at one all the way to the last person. But instead of the first person drafting again from the top of the order, that last person gets to draft right again. And then it circles all the way back around in reverse order. Uh, that way, the thing that people find with that makes things a little bit more fair, makes it a little bit more uh, easy to digest being the last person uh, to go. But the whole idea and the reason why I like fantasy football so much is typically in sports, you ha- you got your one team. You got like your one team that you follow that you really root for. And those are really the only games that you care about. What fantasy football does is it lets you care about all of the games we get like eight games a single like over a weekend but only if if only one of those actually matters then that's a lot of lots of wasted football however if you get to pick up individual players on each team and get to see how they perform in real time because your points are being scored in real time against your opponent it just makes that investment so much better um it's so much easier to keep your eyes glued just makes it it could turn a sunday from just like a like a three to four hour little sit down sesh to watch your your favorite team play into a whole day event going from one o'clock in the afternoon all the way to like 11 o'clock at night um 
And that to me is, as a football fan, can't really ask for more. Um, but yeah, where are we at time wise? Uh, you got 30 seconds. All right. So all in all, uh, if you want to play fantasy football, there's lots of options. Uh, you, you can go online, just Google fantasy football league. You can join up with a bunch of random people. It's not usually as fun that way. I suggest going and finding some friends to play with, but yeah, go do that. Try it out. It's a good time. Even if you don't care about football, if you just like playing games and having something to care about each week and get invested in, try it out. Yeah. 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 Let's say yeah for three more seconds. Yeah. Two yeah, more. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. it. Cool. That's five minutes on the dot, man. Damn. I'm you good. did it. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, hey, I'd love to try fantasy football, but chances are I'd end up rolling dice anyway because I'd have to <laughs> make it random who I choose because I don't know shit about any of the players, but I know the teams I like. I want Joe Burrow, but I feel like everybody does, so it's whatever. Um, not Michael. He's a Steelers fan. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going <laughs> to out him. Yeah, I know, right? Could you even imagine? Oh, He's still my be, friend, but oh, like, God. Oh, no. Can't, I've can't had, be a Steelers oh, fan. Oh, no. Man. I've had 50 years of success. In the NFL, oh damn it! <laughs> yeah, but then you had Big Ben, you big old idiot. Yeah, I know that part sucked. <laughs> yeah, that part sucked for a while. Um, <laughs> hey, if there's anything in the realm of entertainment that you want to hear us cover that we haven't covered already, first off, make sure you check the 124 other episodes because maybe we did. I don't. How far can we go here? Like, entertainment has been expanding since human civilization started, but like, really, how far can we take this train without the suggestions of our, you know, closest companions and friends? Uh, if you send us your suggestions, we might do an episode on it. That's what I'm getting at. There are a couple of different ways you can do that. Number one is you can just uh, go to our website, www.entertainthis.com slash et-podcast. Scroll all the way to the bottom and fill out a little form there. It gets sent straight to us. Or you could email us directly, entertainthispodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter. We're entertain underscore this. On Instagram, we're entertain this podcast. On Facebook, we're podcast entertain this. And as always entertain us so we can entertain you and you can entertain this we'll see you guys next friday it'll be patrick's turn yeah bye Bye. this episode was written by alex Steele, with additional commentary by patrick frazier and michael savoya our showrunner and resident fact checker is chloe price our theme music is rush bubble by aaron spencer with interstitial music by djw tune in every friday for new episodes and Thanks for listening.